Today we have Abbas Muhammad on the show. Do you want to learn how to get out of your own way and live the life of your dreams? Abbas, at the early age of 24 years old, uses confidence and knowledge to conquer limiting beliefs that hold many other people back. He learned to leverage technology, the use of virtual assistants, and other people's time and money. He's a general partner in 258 units and a passive investor in over 1,300 units. Abbas is all about compressing time by hiring coaches and learning from others' mistakes so he can achieve his goals faster than anyone else. In this episode, you will hear Abbas talk about systemizing his business, his leverage of technology, and other people to compress timeframes. He will also talk about his experience and his strategy towards scaling. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Abbas Muhammad before we start the show. Abbas is a young guy of only 24 years old, but he doesn't let his young age get in the way. He believes if you are confident and knowledgeable, then others will see that and they will trust in you if you can help them achieve their goals. This guy is a go-getter and he's found a way to leverage technology and others to scale his business. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Abbas Muhammad. Abbas, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, we are both from the same multifamily mentorship group, uh, the Brad Sumrock group. And uh, Abbas lives in California. I live in Dallas. He actually reached out to me. We had a, we had a call a while back. And this guy is a go-getter. And um, I love his story, and um, he's he's just a force to be reckoned with. So I, I expect big, big things coming out of this guy. Um, so with that, I'm going to uh, kick it off with how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Well, thank you so much for the introduction. So I've invested in 1,300 units passively and uh, 258 as a general partner. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um so we will talk, you know, more about the real estate side, but before getting into that, I want to get into one, you're a young guy. How old are you? I'm 24 now. 20, Just turned 24. 24 <laughs> years old. I mean, listen, I, I have people that reach out to me on Instagram. They're like, I'm too young to get into this. Like how, who's going to want to partner with me? You know, how do I do this? So like, look, right. listeners, if you're a young guy, listen to this guy because he's, he's figured out how to do it. So it's all in your head, man. That's, that's what I figured out. All in your head. So explain that. 
What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I remember I got into real estate when I was 18 years old and my biggest fear at the time was I got in as a real estate agent and I always thought, well, who's going to, you know, who's going to list a million dollar house with an 18 year old that doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And then what I realized later on is, is look, it's all about the confidence that you show people and the, and the knowledge you bring to the table. If you don't know what you're doing, people just realize that very quickly on. And uh, once you understand you know, what you're doing and then you show the confidence and, and the commitment, people don't really care about your age anymore after that. That's interesting. You know, my, so my daughter recently graduated high school and she's doing a few things, but one of the things she's talked about is like, Oh, I want to, I want to sell like the multi-million dollar homes down in Highland park. And I'm like, you, you know, you're probably going to have to, you know, cut your teeth on something smaller than that to start out with. But, you know, to your point, you know, you could, climb up that ladder pretty quick if you have the confidence and the knowledge and the commitment. So talk about Absolutely. when you said you got into real estate at 18, what do you mean by that? Um, so, yeah, so, so what happened is, uh, I'll give you my background as well. So growing up, I was born in Iraq, you know, my family didn't have a lot of money. In fact, um, I remember when I was a kid, I, I always remember we had to sleep on concrete because we couldn't afford to buy beds. Um, so it was pretty bad, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And then after the war, we, uh, we left to Syria. And then from Syria, we ended up moving to the U.S. when I was 11 years old. But at the age of 18, I was selling cars. I was a used car salesman. And um, I was also going to college. And then I just looked at that. I'm like, you know what? I don't think I could ever change my, my financial situation or my family's financial situation if I'm just selling cars or if I'm just going to college to work for somebody. So what I decided to do at the time, and I think this was kind of crazy for me to do this, to be honest with you, going back, I don't know if I would have done it again. I just got my real estate license on a credit card. I didn't have the money to actually do it. I had $5,000 on my credit card. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just spend two grand to, to, get, a, to get my real estate license. And uh, I just got into real estate. And when I got in, I spent three months basically knocking on doors. I, you know, didn't get a single thing out of it. I was knocking on hundreds of doors a day. And then I, you know, after failing that, I had to go back to uh, get a job basically because I ran out of money. So I, I went back, I got a, a job as a used car salesman again, and I started making phone calls pretty much every day for 12 hours a day before I finally um, got my first transaction. It took me literally a year of cold calls wow. to get one deal. It was insane. So yeah, one yeah, year, one year young. to get one real estate deal or one year to get one listing. One, oh, one listing. listing. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to quit every single day uh, when, when I got into real estate. But the nice thing about that is it took me a year. And by the way, one of the things I, I did early on is I hired a coach, right? I've hired coaches throughout my life. And to me, that was very important. That's why I could grow so quickly. I hired a coach and the, you know, I wanted to quit every day. I remember one of the things my coach told me is like, look, you, if you don't believe in yourself enough to keep going, just believe in me, right? Believe in the stuff that I'm teaching you and eventually it's going to work out. And I did, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to quit on the idea of quitting and I'm just going to keep going with it. So I did that a year into it. I got my first transaction. And then uh, within a year after that, I got so many transactions. I became one of the top agents in the Bay area. Wow. Um, but by the time I was 21, I was making like $350,000 a year. I was 21 years old. And you know, that was more money by the way, than all my family had made combined, which was great. Right. So I was seeing some difference right in my life, but then I realized I got stuck. I was like working 16 hours a day, 
you know, I got into business to, to make money, but also to have time freedom. Right. What I realized is that I was working 15 hours a day, 16 hours a day. I never saw my family anymore. Um, you know, I always miss dinners and I'm like, you know what, there has to be a change. I have to do something different. And that's when I went back and I just completely changed my business model, uh, you know, back, I think this was about two and a half years ago or two years ago. And what I did is I decided to simplify my business. I went back, I cut down all the complex stuff in my business. I started uh, setting up systems, setting up processes, hiring virtual assistants, which changed my life completely. Uh, I've hired now hundreds of virtual assistants. But what happened is over the next two years, I went from being one of the top real estate agents in the Bay Area to now I'm top 50 nationwide with Remax. I was able to go from 350 to 2 million in the sales business and profit, which was really cool. And all of that happened within two years. But then I decided, you know what? I've just kind of had enough with sales. It's now boring. I've solved all the major problems. And that's when I decided to get into multifamily early on this last year. That's fantastic. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people talk about using VAs. And, oh, yeah. and some people, you know, they dip their toe in and maybe use one or two. Like you just said that you, you, you have hundreds of VAs. I've hired hundreds. Hi, I've hired hundreds. Hi, hired hundreds of VAs. So talk about, yeah. you know, where, where do you see the benefit of using a VA? How does somebody go about, you know, finding a VA and, and um, you know, uh, I got to imagine there's some work up front, you know, to educate them and to train them. Um, but then you see the dividends on the back end. So kind of talk about that process. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's the same as if you were hiring an employee to me, whether you're hiring a virtual assistant or you're hiring a regular employee, it's all the same. The only difference I've noticed so far is with a virtual assistant is you're getting an employee at a much, much cheaper cost. Instead of having to pay somebody $25 per hour, $30 per hour, or whatever it's going to be, um, you end up paying, you know, $5, $6 per hour. Right. So it's just a lot more cost effective and you could scale faster because of the lower cost. But having said that, you know, what I realized a lot about a lot of businesses, myself included two years ago, when I started wanting to hire virtual assistants, the problem that I had is everything about my business was in my head. I, I, it, it all depended on how I would operate the business. So one of the problems that I had is I thought nobody could do what I, what I could do. And that was true because I just didn't have the right systems and the right processes. So my first step was to systematize my business. And what I mean by that is I took every single thing I did and I decided some of, some of my business activities were just too complex. I was never able to, you know, you know, scale them. So I actually completely cut down some business activities, but then the things I did keep, I simplified, I made training modules, I made training videos, and then I hired virtual assistants. And then and the reason I did that is because I didn't want to hire someone and then just, you know, not know what to do with them, not know how to train them. So I, I systematized my business. Then I went out, hired my first virtual assistant back in 2019, October of 2019. And what I realized, this was the interesting thing. I was working 15 hours at the time, instantly by hiring a virtual assistant. During those eight hours she was working every single day, she was doing as much work as the eight hours that I spent. So I was like, wait, so now I could work eight hours less per day and get the same production. So then I was like, well, what if I hire a second person? So then I went on and hired a second person. Now two of them were doing the same amount of work that I used to do in 16 hours. Wow. So then I'm like, well, that's interesting. What if I hire a third and then fourth and a fifth? And I just kept going with it, basically. Uh, now I have 25 full-time in, in the business, which is great. That's crazy. It's like printing money basically at that point. 
That's crazy. I mean, but you had to make the investment. Um, I've, I've heard you say a, a number of things. One, you, when you bought, when you paid for the real estate thing on your credit card, you know, and that right. may be a wise decision or, or not a wise decision, you know, um, but you invested in yourself. Then, right. you, then you said you, you hired coaches to help you. And then right. you went into leveraging other people at a lower cost than, than you are. Um, so, you know, they were all investments. You had to systematize Absolutely. and spend the time to really think about, okay, what components of the business can I document and systematize right. and then offload to somebody else? So can you share Absolutely. any examples on like maybe one piece of that? Sure. So I will give you actually an example on, um, I could give you a couple, but one example is the underwriting. I actually was able to completely automate underwriting and I still do, you know, if, if we find a property that we we're actually going to write an offer on, I will underwrite it from scratch just to be on the safe side. But here's how I did it. I basically did a lot of underwriting. One of the things I recommend to people is if you're going to delegate something, in my opinion, right, you have to be an expert at what you're delegating unless unless you could afford to hire people that are much, much, much better at the task than you would be. Um, so for example, video editing, I will never try to learn video editing. I'll just hire someone who's much better, even if I have to pay a higher cost. But for underwriting, because I want underwriting to be done a specific way, the way I do it. And I don't care, you know, how other people do it. I want it done my way. So having said that, number one is to become an expert at what it is you're trying to delegate. If you're not that great, you know, you're just not going to be good at delegating it. That's number one. The second thing is what I like to do is I take a big task, right? I take a big task and I have this whiteboard behind me for a reason. Anytime I want to delegate a task, I basically write it down and then I break it down into what I call sections, right? So section one, section two, section three, and the way sections are, it's similar to book chapters, right? So, you, you know, in a book, you might have 12 chapters, 15 chapters. And then within those chapters, right, which are sections, then I have the mini steps. Like, for example, with underwriting, section one is how do you find the deals, right? How do you find the deals? So within that, it has the mini steps, which are, look, you got to log into this email and then you have to read the emails to find properties that match X criteria. Once you find those properties, you want to star them. You want to move them to this folder, right? So those are steps. And then section two, well, what documents are you supposed to pull or what are, what are the different documents? So then I explain the different documents. Well, this is what the operating or offering memorandum means. This is what the rent roll means, right? So, all, so, so on and so forth. So I break it down into sections, then mini steps. And then at the end of that, I go and I film a video. And the reason I like videos is because I personally don't do well with, with uh, manuals and written handbooks. I just don't like reading, you know, a book on how to do something. Uh, I'd rather watch a video. So that's what I do for my employees. I just film a video. I upload it to YouTube in a private section. Anytime I hire someone, I just have them go watch the videos and I never have to train anybody on that task again. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's, that's a great, 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 great idea. Um, you know, they always say that, in order to, you know, really, really understand your topic, you know, teach somebody teach else. It. Right. And, right. And so that just that process that you go through forces you to really know your stuff. Much um, absolutely agreed. I mean, there's so many things where it's like, okay, now I'm ready to teach this. 
And then I'm like, wait, hold on. I don't understand this specific aspect too well, or maybe this, I don't understand this too well. So then I go and I study further and it makes me much better at what it is I want to teach, which is phenomenal. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And so then these VAs, they might be doing a little sliver of, of a task, you know, and, and then when you combine them all, um, it gives you the high uh, view picture as to where to spend your time. Exactly. 100%. And, and then you're not bogged down. You know what happened is I remember when I was doing everything myself is I was just bogged down all day long doing little things that didn't actually matter all that much. And what happened is I was thinking too small, right? I was never able to actually step back and look at where the bottlenecks are in my business so that I could grow. And you know what I realized now looking back, uh, it's funny because I look back, you know, two years ago, three years ago, I realized that the bottleneck in my business back in the day and still today in any business I'm in is me. I'm always the bottleneck. So I'm always trying to get myself out of the business as quickly as possible because I am one guy. And if I'm in the business, I will bottleneck the whole thing. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Very true. Hey, um, so a lot of people listening understand the word underwrite, but there right. are, you know, there are new people that are, you know, looking to understand, get to know the business. And so that word can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So how would you define underwrite? Yeah. So underwriting real estate basically is evaluating, you know, properties and, and seeing what they're worth right now, seeing what the upside potential might be, seeing if, if these are properties you should be possibly investing in or not. Uh, and there are a lot of different factors we look at, right? With the market, the specific property, and there are just a lot of different things for us to decide if a property is, is good enough for us to write an offer on. Yeah. So, I mean, basically there's a lot of different Excel spreadsheets out there that are right. templates and, you know, we're, we're focused mainly on multifamily um, investing. You know, there's, there are multifamily investors all across the country that underwrite deals. And right. what, what that is, they have a template, an Excel spreadsheet, and then they're going to gather data from other documents and they're going to put that into the Excel spreadsheet. And then they're going to have certain assumptions that they're right. going to include in that, um, you know, template. And, you know, so they may pull some data from the offering memorandum that the broker provides. They may pr pull some data from the actual rent roll or from the um, trailing 12 P&L for the property. And then there's all these assumptions and look, you've been doing, I've been doing it for f say four years. You've been doing it for what, a year, year and a half. Uh, about a year. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I learned and you tell me your opinion on this is that, you know, in the beginning you start to underwrite and you have all these decision points and it's like, Oh, right. you know what? I could use 3% for the interest rate, but I'm going to use 3.3 to be conservative. I right. could use 75 LTV, but I'm going to use 70 LTV to be conservative. I could push the rent from 900 to a thousand, but I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to put it to knife. Every time you take that conservative approach, all of a sudden that makes your underwriting not work, you know? So right. after time, you, you have to kind of learn where you can, you know, use industry standards or be a little aggressive and, and where you can't. 
So talk yeah, about that. Yeah, 100%. You know, I'll tell you this. When I first started underwriting deals, this was this is kind of funny because I remember what happened is I would get negative returns. And I'm like, why the hell am I getting negative returns? Like, I just didn't get it. And what I realized is I was being so conservative on so many different things to the point where no property in the world would ever work out right. on my underwriting. And so, you know, with underwriting, you have all these different spreadsheets and everybody has their own little thing that they use, right, for the most part. But it all really just comes down to the person who's underwriting, right? How good is that person? How creative are they? Um, how much do they know about real estate, right? How, how much do they know about improving the properties? Because really, you have to be conservative conservative, in, 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 as, in some aspects, right? But you also have to be competitive with the market. Because if you're not competitive, you could spend you know, your entire life underwriting and you'll never get a property. And one thing I'll tell you about multifamily uh, and real estate in general right now is there's a lot of demand. And if you're not very competitive with the market and what's going on, you're just never going to win a property. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So, you you know, you have to and you can learn from others. So, you right. know, if you hire a coach, or you get involved with a group and you start talking to other people that are winning deals and you're like, how are you doing it? You know, right. and then you find out that, you know what, they're including some things in their performance that you weren't even thinking of. And then right. you start to learn from that. Um, that's part of that learning process is, is learning from others. And you want to, you know, just like a coach, a coach, you want to learn, you know, somebody that's already done what you want to do. And, you know, investors that you want to learn from people that are still winning deals. Like, you know, do I want to listen right. to investors that won deals 10 years ago, but can't win a deal today? You know, I don't know. I don't think so. The market is changing so quickly. You know, I've been doing this since February of 2021. So, so uh, you know, about a year or so now. But having said that, even during this one-year period, I've seen so many changes in, in the way we have to underwrite to continue to win deals because it's gotten more and more and more competitive in just literally one year, right? So imagine if it's been like five years since somebody's done a deal. It's a completely different market. And that's one thing. The other thing I've, I've uh, you know, I've, did and I continue to do is I go and see who are the people that are winning deals and I jump on their investor webinars, right? Uh, I may or may not end up investing, but I just want to see what are they doing and what can I replicate in my underwriting? Because the market is always changing. And if you just have one model, you know, one way of doing it and you stick with it forever, you're just going to be outdated and you're going to stop winning deals at some point. So I'm always trying to stay you know, on, on the edge of what's going on right now in today's market by jump, uh, jumping on these different webinars every single time. That's, that's very, very smart. So talk about that. Um, what does that even mean, you know, jumping on other investor webinars? Yeah. So, you know, when you connect with other real estate syndicators, what happens is they start sending you the deals that they're working on. So what I do is I sign up for these webinars that they do, where they basically go into detail about the deal and the offering and what they're going to do and what did they um, evaluate? How did they win this deal? So I go, you know, I go into these webinars, I'm just writing down notes. Okay, well, wait, they inter they're introducing Wi-Fi. I haven't thought about Wi-Fi before. So let me go back and see what is the cost of Wi-Fi? How much do I get for Wi-Fi? Um, you know, are there any other properties in the areas that we're underwriting that have Wi-Fi? So then I get all these different ideas and then I start investigating further. And that's one of the best ways, in my opinion, to stay, you know, current with the market and what's going on right now. That, that's huge. So, you know, look, if you're a listener and you're trying to learn the business, you're trying to possibly invest passively. That's the first step right there is, right. is like, you know, pick your market. You know, so if you want to be in Texas, then find syndicators in Texas. If you want to be in Arizona, 
find syndicators in Arizona, and then reach out to them and get on their investor database. It's just their email list. And then when they have a deal, like a boss said, he's, they're going to send you an email with, hey, do you, you know, I'm going to be presenting this opportunity next Tuesday at six o'clock. Sign right. up, regardless of whether you're going to invest or not. And, right. and then you'll learn. You learn so much. It's insane. And I also recommend hiring mentors and coaches, right? Because though the, there's so much information in multifamily, you know, looking back over what we did this past year, I don't think there was any way I could have done this without having a mentor in, in the business. You know what I mean? So I think having the right network of people that are doing this actively right now, and then also having mentors that you could ask questions and, and help you understand the different things that maybe you don't understand um, is crucial to growing in this business. Absolutely. I'm going to add to to that though. So say you join a group, do they just come and does the group just hand you a deal? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it might seem, it might seem that easy when you listen to, to the sales pitches sometimes, right? But that, it's not anywhere close to that. Yeah. So, I mean, look um, to listeners, if you're serious and you believe and you're committed then there's a ton of value from joining a group and getting plugged into, you know, an ecosystem of investors that have already done it and coaches and, and a methodology and, and uh, already having the vendors, you know, that have been vetted. Um, huge, huge value in that. But right. what I caution you on is don't just write a check and expect that a deal will come to you. Like you, right. you are still going to have to bust your hump, you know, and, right. and learn. It's a business, man. I mean, honestly, it's, it's, and I will say this, it's uh, probably the toughest business I've ever been in. Um, I mean, if I compare this to the sales business that I built and the sales business was very, you know, very competitive. I live in one of the most competitive markets in the nation, but even that I looking back, that was so much easier to scale and grow than the multifamily business. It's just, it's a very hard competitive business because you're dealing with smart people, right? Um, you're dealing with people that are committed that have employees that have all these systems in place. And so if you want, if you want to jump in and actually break into the business, you have to compete at a very high level. Yeah. So I, you know, when you say one of the toughest business, like I think there's certain things that are really, really, really tough about it. And then there's right. certain things that are just really positive about it that, um, and welcoming, which is so right. different. Um, so you know, I've been in a lot of different industries and it's pretty, you know, pretty competitive and, and the, the guys at the top typically don't want to share their secrets, you know? Right. And what I found in the multifamily world is there's a lot of partnering that goes on and people are very open about, you know, how they achieve their success and helping the next guy up. Um, and, you know, you may compete on a deal, um, but when that deal's over, the people are still very open, um, which, right. which is, that's a very plus. Um, but on the other side, as a new guy, I don't think that you can win a deal unless you partner with somebody that has experience. 
Yeah, and I I would agree with that because you know the brokers probably want to see some sort of track record that you know maybe you've done this before or maybe someone you're working with has done this before so that you know that if they take the property off the market, uh, it's not you you know you're going to be able to raise the funds, you're going to be able to go through the loan process and not have all these issues along the way because otherwise you know they might not trust you enough and you know as you as you go through the process it gets easier and easier because then you build that track record to yourself. Absolutely. So this business, I, you know, I've heard people say it over and over and over again that, you know, it's made up of two things, one finding deals and finding investors. And, right. and, um, you know, so some people build up their investor database, you know, building up different leadership platforms, whether it be a podcast or writing a book or having a meetup. And, you know, you talk, about how what you do with your VAs, with your employees, that you record these videos and, you know, learning videos to them. Um, but I've also seen you come out with, you know, webinars. And um, so talk about some of the topics that you, you know, provide in those webinars. And, and these webinars are, are free, right? Free right. learnings to, to people, um, in exchange for, hey, they're learning from you, so maybe they'll maybe they'll end up investing with you some time down the road, or maybe you right. just help them out. You know, um, absolutely. So talk about some of the topics that you share with other people and and how that benefits uh, both them and you. Sure, and, and I'll tell you, you know, in terms of raising money, raising money is, um, you know. The way I've been doing it over the past year is networking one-on-one. -on -one. And I think networking is phenomenal because you get to meet people one-on-one. -on -one. You, you know, you talk, you know what to you learn what to say, what not to say, and so on and so forth, how to say your story correctly. So you learn all these different things. And then you also connect with people on a deeper level. And that has been great, you know, in my first year. I think it was crucial that I did that. However, having said that, I've now pivoting more to webinars and speaking events and all these different things, because then I get to communicate with many people at the same time versus communicating one-on-one, -on -one, um, which is, you know, which is fine at the beginning, but I want to scale that up. Right. So that's why I'm moving on to that aspect and the way I've been doing it so far. And my target this year is to, you know, focus a lot on speaking events and meetups and the, these webinars. But what I'm doing right now is just speaking about the market, like how to choose the right market. Um, I have webinars lined up on how to analyze a property, you know, how to analyze a, a neighborhood, um, you know, all these different things about different, what is the, you know, what is the difference between single family houses and multifamily houses? The way I, the way I'm positioning these webinars is, is I'm not really positioning them for people that are already in the business. I'm positioning them for people that are outside of the business because that market is much bigger than the people who are already in the multifamily circle. So basically I'm trying to keep them as simple as possible, as basic as possible, just to get people introduced to multifamily and then basically convert them to investors along the way as, as I continue to educate them. And then another thing I've been doing is also teaching people about virtual assistance and all these different things, because then that shows them how I operate my business and that gets them introduced to who I am as a person. Then I also start, you know, sending them the, the real estate webinars and so on and so forth until they they're like, you know what, what, tell me more about this, or I want to invest into your next deal. That, that's fantastic. Um, so I like that strategy going outside. Um, what, how do you reach those people? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's and that's actually one of the things that we're uh, working to get better at right now. Right now, I've been doing it through meetup.com. Um, I have Facebook advertising, you know, and these sort of things. 
But I'm working on something different and that I'm learning right now a lot from, uh, I don't know if you know, Russell Brunson. Um, yeah. He is the CEO of ClickFunnels and, uh, you know, he's a genius when it comes to marketing. But one of the things I'm building is the Dream 100 list. And what that means is who are the 100 influencers that already have uh, the people that we're looking for um, in terms of investors, you know, whether it's business owners right now, my three big lists are, I want business owners, uh, real estate agents, and people that work in tech. And that's because these, these three groups have already invested in my deals before. So, so I know I could grow that even further. So right now what we're building actually is uh, we're building that dream 100 list of influencers we could connect with and build a relationship with to, to put content out there about real estate or other things that could draw people to, to my website. And that's smart. That's a smart approach. Um, yeah. So what would you say, I was asked this after about a year. Um, I, it took me a year to get my first syndication deal and um People ask me, would you have done anything different? So I'm going to ask you that question. Would you have done anything different, you know, having started about a year, year and a half ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on, on our first deal, um, we struggled a lot with uh, raising funds for it. It was a very small deal. It was six and a half million dollars, right? We only had to raise two million. And we struggled with the fundraise because I didn't think that raising money was as hard as it as it was. So we didn't really go in as prepared with our lists and you know the the contacts. I went in and I had a list of people, but it wasn't really inclusive of all my contacts, all my network. You know what I realized is that you should you should have everybody you know on your list, and it doesn't matter if you think they're qualified to invest in terms of financially as in, do they have the money or not? Add them to the list anyway, right? And what I realized is that a lot of people who I thought might not be in a position to invest actually ended up investing. And the people who I thought would invest ended up not investing, right? So so really you just have to add everybody you have in your contact list. So what I did after we closed that deal is I just went on Facebook. I went through my, my phone contacts and there was not one person who I had their email that I didn't add to the list. And it just grew my list tremendously. And then on the second deal, I emailed those people and a bunch of them ended up jumping in. So it was, it was great. So just, you know, add in everybody that you know, obviously you got to make sure that they're sophisticated or accredited. But if they meet that qualification, just add them in. That I think is is brilliant, and and I had the exact same experience where is that right? <laughs> I, like I remember going through my phone, and I was like, oh, this guy will definitely invest. Like he's an right. entrepreneur, he's owns a number of businesses, he's got a lot of. Ca- and then when I went and talked to him, he's like, Darren, man, I'd, I'd love to be involved, involved, but you know, I just put a bunch of capital in this other business. The timing just isn't good, you know. Right. And then there were other people that I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not even going to send a text or an email to this guy. Right. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said to myself, Darren, you can't make that decision for them. Right. That, and that's basically what it is, is that, you know, it's changing the mindset from, hey, I need money to do my deal to you're presenting an opportunity. And, right. and why are you going to bypass certain people in your network? You're, you're forming a judgment on them. And I, I had the same experience. There were some people that I, I almost bypassed and they're like, Hey Darren, man, I, I've never done this before, but can we grab coffee and, you know, let me understand it a little bit better. And then they're, then they've invested in number of different number of deals with me. I'm like, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. (laughs) Like, so I completely agree with that approach. Um, 
I, I think part of it really for a lot of the people that are doing this maybe for their first time is just the fear of rejection, right? Like I remember also fear going rejection. to my list yep. and you know what I did is I'm like, you know what? I know this guy. I don't really know if I want to send him a message or if I want to call them about investing because I don't know. What if they say no and it's a family friend or whatever? I don't want to embarrass them. But in reality, the truth is it was just all in my head, just like the whole age thing, just like pretty much any problem you have. Oh, I can't, I can't, you know, scale my business or hire other people. It's all in our heads. All these things that go through, you know, all these issues that we put, all these walls are all in our heads. So I took that. I'm like, you know what? If somebody rejects me or someone rejects investing, I don't even care. I'm just going to move on to the next person. Absolutely. And so I ended, you know, and I just did that. And you know what? Nobody ever complained. I, I didn't have one person say, hey, why did you email me this deal? Or why did you call me? And in fact, I had a guy recently call me. He was a real estate broker. He's like, Abbas, you've sent me so many emails. Uh, it's insane. I'm like, look, man, you're either going to invest or you're not going to invest. Are you going to invest? He's like, because you've sent so many emails, count me in on this deal. Uh, so, you know, you're right. going to get people because you're you're tenacious and you're just persistent. Yeah. The other thing I would say, and, and I would add this to social media and what you're doing with the webinars um, to that as well, is that, you know, there's certain people that they don't necessarily you know, on social media, hit like or hit comment or whatever. Um, or maybe they don't respond to the email, you know, blast. But all of a sudden, you may see that person a year or two later and they're like, you know what? I've been seeing all your stuff. And right. I'm I'm interested in, in finding out more about it, you know? Right. And, but in the beginning, they weren't, you know? It takes, right. so for some people, it takes time to see, Hey, are they really staying in this business? Do they really know what right. they're talking about? You know, are other people investing with them? Are other people right. getting good returns? Like, so right. some, some people, it takes a while and they may it's not. It's all about the relationships. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's all about the relationships. And that's one of the things, and that's important as well, not just with investors, but also with like the brokers, you know what I mean? Like the brokers, they're, they have so many buyers they could choose from. The question is, well, why would they choose you? And it's not just about the price, right? Going in, you might think it's just about the price, but the reality is they want to work with people that they like and they trust that are going to close these deals. So like you have to build the relationships with the brokers. You have to build the relationships with the, with the vendors, right? You have to build the relationships with the property management companies and the, and the investors. It's a very relationship heavy business. And you know what? Coming from the sales business, I was not very focused on relationships. I was very transactional. It was all about, look, I, I'm here. We're going to do the deal. Once we do the deal, I'll never probably see this person again, right? But I want to make sure I do a great job, but I'm, I'm transactional. It's, it's all about, hey, I'll get you the results we you expect, and then we're done. But then when I got into multifamily, it was a big shift because what I realized is that you know, it's a very small um, community, right? There, there's not that many people, relatively speaking, in comparison to most most other businesses. So everybody knows each other, and you just have to make yourself known. You have to keep showing up, putting in the work, and then people will eventually start looking at you and trusting you and what you're doing. Yeah, that that's so true. I mean, look, you mentioned brokers. I mean, if you go buy a deal and everything goes smooth, and then on the next deal, it's between you and this other person that they don't really know, who, who do you right. think they're going to pick? They're going to pick you. They'll pick you. Right. Because they are confident that you're going to be easy to work with and, and do what you say you're going to do. And um, so those are, those are huge. So, Hey, what markets do you focus in on? 
Yeah. So right now my, my only focus is on Dallas. Okay. Uh, the Dallas, the, uh, Dallas Fort Worth market. And the reason that is, is because I believe there's, uh, there was already a lot of growth that's supported by numbers. There are a lot of people moving in. It's number one in terms of net migration, right? And, uh, the rent growth there is just insane. It's rents are going up like crazy. So that's, that's why my focus is on uh, Dallas and, you know, I thought about going into other markets as well, but honestly, there are just so many deals in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. I just haven't had the reason really to to expand beyond that. Well, that makes sense. I mean, and it's a hot, hot market. So some I I spend a lot of time in in the in Dallas and Texas markets, and people say, Darren, you know, why aren't you going to other markets? And I'm like, you know what? If I lived someplace that wasn't such a hot market, then I, you know, I probably would, but Right. You know, why would I do that when it's everything's in my backyard and I could just hop in the car and, and drive there and, and check it out. So, um, when you have people like me in San Jose looking at your market, why would you look at another market? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, that's the interesting point. So you're in California, you know, I am. Yep. how did you pick Dallas? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, so one of the reasons I, I didn't like um, single family houses and investing in single family houses, even though I sell this stuff, right? So I could buy a single family house anywhere in California and I would buy it cheaper than anybody else out there because I have better ways to access those deals because they're in my market and I get a commission because I'm a real estate worker on them. So I could buy them cheaper. But even then I decided not to do it because I looked at California, I'm like, I just, I don't want to invest in a, in a market that is anti-landlord, that has all these laws on, on what you can and cannot do. I just don't like that, right? The rent growth limit, you know, uh, control and all that sort of stuff. So I decided to pick Texas and Dallas in particular because I looked at the data, right? I'm, I'm just super data oriented. I look at a bunch of different things and I studied a lot of markets. I mean, I like Arizona. I like uh, Florida as well. Um, I like Tennessee, but Dallas and Texas in general have been my favorite. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally an East Coast guy. I'm from Connecticut and I spent um, 14 years in South Florida. And then I've been in the Dallas market for 11 or 12 years. And oh wow, I got to say, it's just, it's, it's crazy because, you know, look, people are friendly. It's clean, a good cost of right. living, um, good workforce, lots of jobs. And then the growth here has just been crazy. Um, right. And I, I, don't, I just don't see it slowing down because when you look at other markets that are just so expensive to live, you know, um, I would expect that more people are just going to continue to move in. Well, the median home price in a lot of these other areas that I mentioned, like Nashville, for example, or Phoenix is right in the 600 range, $550,000 range. And in Dallas, we're still sitting at 292,000, right? In the Dallas-Fort Worth market. So there's a lot of room for growth in the single family um, prices. And the reason that's important is because as these houses have been going up in price, what happens is people get priced out of buying. So now they have to you know, focus more on just renting. And so what happens is that gets more competitive. So the rents go up. And then another factor is the net migration patterns, right? So a lot of people are migrating to the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And, you know, 
the reason that it's important to look at net migration patterns is because, you know, we hear a lot of people are moving to Austin, which is true. Austin is a great market, but then there are also a lot of people moving out because it's getting too expensive for them. So the net migration pattern, basically what that does is it looks at how many people net are, are moving in after the people have already moved out are accounted for. And so what you see is you see insane population growth and you see prices for real estate, housing prices are going up. So then that just pushes the, the rents even further, which is great. Yeah. I, I, it's I, all about supply and demand. Absolutely. So um, you mentioned you didn't want to invest in single family. Um, why do you like multifamily over single family? You know, number one reason is scale. Um, I just didn't want to deal with having to buy multiple single family houses. And, you know, generally when you're buying single family houses, I just find it much harder with, if you're trying to buy out of state. It's always easier if you're buying something that's closer to you. So the management gets better. The problem with single family houses is I don't want to invest in California. That's number one. The second thing is I didn't want to have to buy a bunch of different houses and then have a bunch of different um, roofs to maintain and, you know, um, all these different things that come with a house, the boilers and all these different things. I just wanted to invest in apartments where everything is at one spot. I, we could hire a property management company. They could stay on site. I don't have to get calls for the toilets. I don't have to get calls to replace, you know, a, a light bulb or any of these different things. And the other thing, factor about it is you could buy many at a time, right? Like the last deal we did was 194 units. Just thinking about that, how many, how many single family houses would have ha I had to buy to be the equivalent of that? And, and based on the real estate prices in the Bay Area, that would have been 30 houses. That would be significantly more difficult to manage, significantly more difficult to scale and maintain. It's just not worth it. I just don't like single family houses because of that. And then also, you know what happened? I ran the numbers on it. The appreciation is great in, in California, but the problem is the cash flow. The cash flow is so freaking low, it's insane. Like you have to you have to put down at least 30% to just break even. And then if you have a problem, like the roof goes out or whatever, now you're negative twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. So it just didn't make sense. It's not scalable because you're always having this money problem of of low cash flow. And I just didn't want to go that direction. Yeah, that ma that makes sense. Um, so talk about your first deal. How did you get into your first deal? Who'd you partner with? Um, you know, I mean, you don't have to talk about the individual names, but like, how sure. did you meet them? And, uh, you know, what was your role versus their role? That sort of thing. Yeah. So the first deal I did was, um, was 64 units. Um, it was six and a half million dollars. And I actually did not find that deal. What happened is I remember when I was, uh, when I said I spent the first year networking, I basically was, you know, uh, calling 12, 15 people every single day. I mean, my calendar was full just with meetings every single day. And so as I was going through that process, one of the people I met, uh, his name was TJ Tenwir Janjua. And he said, you know what, Abbas, um, I would love to get to know you better and maybe work on a deal. So I think about a month later, after we had a phone conversation, he called me, he said, hey, I have this deal that we're, we just got an offer accepted on. I want to talk to you and see if you might be interested in working with me on it. So we met, you know, and uh, we actually had a very long meeting because whenever you're partnering with people, you're together for multiple years. It's at least three years, maybe five years on a property. And you want to make sure that you have the same values, you have the same expectations, right? And so we met for many hours and we realized, you know what, we're similar in the way we think. We want the same things for our investors. We have the same expectations. And so we ended up uh, partnering together on it. So his role is the asset manager. My role is the 
investor communication. And uh, we've learned a lot from, you know, operating that deal. That's fantastic. Um, I think that's important for listeners. Like, look, you if you're going to um, get into large scale multifamily, you're going to need to partner with somebody, you know, right. partner with somebody that has experience. And so people need to know that you're looking to partner, you know, so right. they, they're not going to just show up at your door. So you have to go to conferences and meetups and, and tell people, look, I'm interested in partnering. And right. then you get the phone call. If you, 100%. you know, if you don't it's, tell people, you're not going to get that phone call. It's a team sport. You know what I mean? There's just, you know, with multifamily, there's just, the numbers are so large and there's so much going on at any one time. It's just hard for one person to, to manage all of it. So I would say, I completely agree with you. You do have to partner. And then also you have to find out what is really your value proposition? Meaning what are you actually bringing to the table? I remember when I first got in, I thought, look, I want to manage these assets. I want to be an asset manager. But then as I thought about it, I live in California. So unless I, I moved to Dallas, I would be a completely useless asset manager. Nobody would want to work with me on that aspect. So I decided I had to shift my focus to acquisition and fundraising, right? So now my focus is, look, I, I want to get really, really, really good at acquiring properties by knowing how to underwrite really well, systematizing that, building relationships with brokers so that then I could get the deals. And then the other thing I want to be really good at is raising funds. And that's what I've been working on. And that's kind of my focus. I'm not going to be an asset manager on a deal. I'll find other asset managers to, to work with me on it, right? So you just have to be really um, clear on what it is you offer other people and then just become one of the best at, at that offer. That's, that's a great point. So I've seen kind of two different business models per se in the, in the multifamily world. One is, you know, you get two or three guys together, form a company, and maybe one guy is good at, you know, the acquisitions and one guy is good with investor relations and one guy is good with asset management. And then they get deals and then they start hiring asset managers and, and they grow a company, you know, under that, that brand of the three people. Right. Another business model is kind of what you're talking about is that, look, you figure out where do you want to focus? And then you don't necessarily have to create a company with the same three people. You could end up partnering with different people on different deals, but you kind of focus in on your value, your sweet spot, your strength. And right. then you partner with other people that kind of fill in the gaps. Right. No, I, and that's exactly right. I think that's a really nice breakdown. And I know, if, I mean, there are people that have done both models very, very successfully. Like I know uh, Rice48 in Arizona has done the three people model where they right. each have their own little task that they focus on, their own departments, and they've done a great job with it. Um, I personally uh, will focus more on just, look, this is what I bring to the table who's going to be the right fit for the deals as we progress. Because sometimes I feel like um, sometimes the person that you're trying to partner with, they might not be available to work with you on that deal, or maybe they just don't want that specific property. Right. So, so that way you get to choose other people if you have to. However, 
one thing I focus on is I want to do business with the same people over and over and over again, because I already know them. I already know how they, how they work. Like two of the people I worked with on the first deal, uh, TJ and Juan uh, Cordoba, we ended up doing business together on the second deal because we already knew how we operate. I didn't have to go vet them out. Uh, and then we added more people, but then on the next deal I do, ideally I would want to work with the same people if they're available, because I already know how we communicate, sure. how we split responsibilities. It just makes things a lot easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, but that's something that's important to know is if you don't build the model where you ha- you're building a company with the same three people, um, you want to make sure that you have relationships with multiple people. I, I remember talking to right. one guy who was like, you know what, you know, he was new breaking into the industry and he's like, I got this guy in the, in the Midwest and he owns, over 2000 units. And he said he'd partner with me and da, da, da. And so I've got my experienced guy and I'm like, all right, well here, here's a scenario. You know, you're out busting your butt, running after properties, underwriting properties, going on property tours. And then all of a sudden you get one and you're in best and final and you call that guy up and he says, Joe, like, I'd love to work with you, but I just, you know, sign on with somebody else and right. timing's just off. Now what are you going right. to do? Right. Like you have to have more than one, you know, Absolutely. unless you're in a company that, that that's the way it operates. 100%. And, and, you know, uh, and to your point, I, I'm so focused on that. That's why I go to all these different events, these multifamily events. That's why I'm signed up in different masterminds with people that are going after the, you know, the same thing and investing in multifamily because I want to have a lot of people that I know I could trust. I like, I want to deal with that. We're on the same page with a bunch of different values and things so that if I do come to that point and the person that I'm, you know, expecting to work with me is not available, I could call someone else to fill that position. So it's very, very important that, you know, people, it's a very, it's a very relationship heavy business. And so you have to have contacts. You have to have people. And I feel like when, when I first got in, one of the mistakes I made is a lot of the conversations I used to have were very surface level. So we talked about surface level things. Yeah, I would want to do business with you, but we really never got down to the nitty gritty details. And I think it's important that you do that early on with as many people as possible so that you're clear on, on what their expectations are and what your expectations are. Expand on that. Yeah. So like, for example, like, you know, let's say you meet someone and, you know, I remember meeting a few people early on. I'm like, Hey, we're going to do, let's do a deal together. And then when it came time to actually submit an offer, then we started talking about, well, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is how we're going to split responsibilities. This is how we're going to split profits and all these different things. And they're like, well, no, I don't know if I'm, if I'm comfortable with this, this is how I want to do it. But then, like you said, when you're at that point where you're actually writing an offer and then there's the best and final, and then there's the tour, things are very, very time sensitive. And that time is not the right time for you to start figuring things out. Uh, you should have done that prior. You should have done your homework prior. So it's very important that you clarify those things. Like, you know, for example, me and, and TJ, I know if we're going to go in on a deal, he's going to be the asset manager, right? And I'm going to be the acquisition person. I'm going to focus on that aspect. He's going to focus on his aspect. And then after we close, I know I'm going to be the investor relationships guy. He's going to be the asset manager throughout the deal. So we have very clear expectations of what I'm supposed to do and what he's supposed to do. And when we have a deal that we're going after, we're not trying to figure that out. It's already done. We already know what we're going to do and we're just going after it. That's very smart. And it's weird in this business, 
which is different than many, many businesses, people talk about money pretty openly. And, yeah. and so, and people are comfortable, like the experienced people, maybe not the newbie, right. but the experienced people are comfortable right. having those difficult conversations. You know what? No, that's not, that doesn't work for me. I want right. I want a bigger percentage on my deals. Well, you right. know what? Then it, maybe it's just not a fit. You know, right? Or you, you know, you cave and you 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 offer up that percentage to the to the other partner. But they're open to having that, and they've had those conversations over and over again. And so, the quicker that you can, you know, not have happy years, right? right. I mean, in, sa- right. in sales, you could have happy years. You know, you you hear the client say one thing, and you think they're going to buy, right? And Right. Um, it's the same thing with partners, you know, they, they could say one thing and you're like, Oh, this partner, this guy will partner with me, but. Yeah, no. And, 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 you know, looking back, I think we all made these mistakes as newer people, because like you, a lot of times people are just not comfortable getting into the, those specific type of details. But, you know, one of the things I've, I don't know, I mean, personally, I am, I'm open about money and finances because I feel like that's, I mean, that's why a lot of people, it's essential for you to continue growing that you run a profitable business, right? And so if you're not talking about these things and, and the expenses, like, for example, I pay for a lot of expenses um, to run my business, right? And so, of course, I want to talk about the profits so that way I, I could make sure I keep expanding my business, right? Otherwise, if, if it's all ambiguous, then you're just, you know, it's not really a business and you're just um, hoping for the right thing to happen. Yeah. Um, another thing, another thing I get asked a lot is what percentage should I give the partner, you know, that I go to? And I said, <laughs> you know what? I don't have an answer for that. It's like every right. deal is different. Every partner is looking for something different. Um, it depends on the, the roles and expectations that you're going to manage versus what they're going to manage. Um, the experience level, the balance sheet, you know, what do they bring into the table with investors versus you and re- other relationships? So, right. um, you know, it's, it's on a want, every deal is different and you just have to have that conversation, see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you either work, move on to the next person or you adjust your expectations, you know, so that right. you take a smaller piece. And, you know, one thing I will also add on to that is that, you know, when you're doing business with people, you want to do business with them all over again, multiple times, because then, like we already said, you would know them better, you know how they operate. So in my opinion, it's important for my partners to not feel um, like they got, you know, the short end of the stick. I want to make sure that they feel comfortable, they feel happy at the end of the deal. And we're all on the same page on everything. Because if you win on one deal, but they end up, you know, going out and feeling like, hey, you know what, I just didn't get what I think I deserve. Uh, this guy got too much. This guy's too greedy. Then you'll probably not do business with them again and then establish that negative reputation. So, you know, just don't be too greedy, right? You got to be fair. You have to be nice to other people because remember it's a team sport. And so if they're not stepping in to help you close those deals, you're never going to close. And, and then having a hundred percent of nothing is literally nothing. So there's no point. <laughs> right. Right. Good point. Hey, uh, what, what's the next big stretch goal for you? Yeah, I mean, my target next year is to uh, get to a thousand units, right? That's my number one. That's my number one target. So right and, now uh, you're at two fifty eight. So you you're you're, talk, you're, you're talking about GP two, units, thousand. right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I want to add another thousand units on top of that. Another th- plus a thousand units in twenty twenty two. Right. Fantastic. Yep. Awesome. Um, hey, what do you like to do outside of work? 
Yeah, good question. You know, um, I don't know if this counts as work or not, but I, I watch a lot of uh, marketing uh, stuff. You know, uh, I watch a lot of Russell Brunson. I read a lot of books about marketing. I just enjoy learning more and more about marketing because to me, that's the that's one of the most essential ways, uh, most essential skills for you to grow a business. So I spend a lot of time on that and I don't consider it work. I actually enjoy it. I do it after I'm done with work. Yeah. I mean, look, in, investing in yourself is is huge. And there's a lot of people out there that are skeptical in it. Like, oh, this self-help industry, this, you know, all these conferences and they're just looking to make money and yeah, they're, they're looking to make money, but they're looking to help you fast track, you know? So you said it in the beginning of this conversation that you don't think that you would have gotten that deal had you not joined a group. And I could say the same thing, you know, I joined a group uh, the same group and it took me a year to get my first syndication deal. And, you know, some people told me, Darren, man, you're crazy to spend that much money on, <laughs> you know, on, and I'm like, well, look at the end of the day, I don't think that I would have gotten a deal if I, right. if I didn't do that, you know, right. um, or I, maybe I would have had to get a, a much smaller deal because I think for me, um, I partnered with uh, Raj Gupta out of Chicago on that deal. And, about half the money was raised in the group and half the money outside the group. And so, okay, if I wasn't in the group, I wouldn't have met all those people that I invested. And so the deal would have been half the size. Um, right. And so, there, and I am amazed by, and you even mentioned it, that you're involved in some masterminds. In addition, you know, I'm amazed at all the people that I interview that are highly, highly successful, make great, 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 great money. And they continue to invest in other masterminds and in other conferences and trying to level up and learn from other people that are ahead of them. You know, it's, it's Absolutely. crazy. You know, it, it's essential. I'll tell you this. Um, the way I look at my life is I, there is so much I want to accomplish and my, I'm only going to live, say, to 60, 70, 80 years so for me to accomplish outsized returns in my life, I have to learn to compress time. I have to compress time. And you can't compress time effectively unless you have mentors, unless you have coaches. When I first got into the sales business, my real estate sales coach taught me sales. He taught me how to prospect, how to market, and all these different things. And that saved me tens, decades of work that he had to do in order to get to that point. And then when I decided to... Um, when I decided to do virtual assistance, I had to figure that out on my own. And I made so many mistakes because, you know, that it's not as big of a topic out there. There are not many coaches that teach virtual assistance. So I had to figure that out on my own. And I, I wasted so much money. I, wa- I wasted so much time learning that. And so I decided after, after doing that is I never want to figure anything out by myself ever again. If there's someone that has already done what I want to do, I just want to pay them. So when I got into multifamily, I just went, signed up for a mentorship program. It, it did cost more than I thought it would cost, but I learned so much in such a short amount of time. I decided I want to learn how to speak and get better at, you know, selling on stage. I went, I joined a different mastermind, paid a different mentor. And what I learned in literally just one week would have taken me 10 years plus to figure out on my own. So it's all about compressing time and the, and the faster you could do that with other people, the better off you're going to be. That's, that's huge. That's huge. Well, um, I know I asked you earlier in the, in the, discussion how old you were and you said you were 24 it's like I forget it after talking with you (laughs) like you literally forget that you're 24 years old like because you do have a 
a confidence about you, you know, um, and, and that. that you've built up a knowledge base and, and just even through this conversation, you know, I've, I, you build trust. And, um, so fantastic. Hey, well, if, I appreciate if that. people want to uh, reach out to you and get to know you better, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I think the best way is to, uh, you know, either email me a boss at the And if they want to participate and you want to, you, can you spell that for, for everybody? Sure. It's uh, A-B-B-A-S at theabossgroup.com. So abbas at theabossgroup.com. And if they want to participate in multifamily webinars uh, that I'll be hosting over the next uh, year, uh, they could go to theabossgroup.com forward slash investor, and they could sign up right there. I'll, I'll email live webinar links for them to attend. Fantastic. Well, Abbas, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I applaud your success. I, I applaud you. your, you just your, um, you know, you say that it, it's in your mind. You figured out at an early age how to, how to push a lot of those limiting beliefs aside and, and charge forward. And so I give you a lot of credit for doing that. Um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you and please share the show with a friend. <laughs>